Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning? It's muggy day. I can tell you for sure because I just walked through the studio in it. I'm back in Mississippi, folks, and for the next hour, I'm going to be talking with you and sharing with you about gardening. I'm Horticulture's Felder Rush, and me and Java Chapman and Kevin Farrell and all these other folks here at MPB, we're going to be bringing this garden party alive. So if you got some things you want to talk about that's related to your garden, your yard, your flowers, your vegetables, your trees, your squirrels, or whatever, we're going to be talking about that. Also, some emails, but the main thing here, the last weekend in August, first weekend in September, Labor Day weekend, St. Fiocker's Feast Day, which we'll talk about a little bit, we're going to be doing some gardening. Again, horticulturists fell to rushing. We're going to do a little bit of news. i got some flowers and stuff to bring in and chat about, a few emails but and a few announcements, but let's sit back and relax and learn how together we can get dirty. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Hey, Java, what's going on, man? Good to see your smiling face. Man, good to see you, Felder. You've been just a voice for the past, what, couple, two months? A voice and an attitude. Don't forget the attitude. Oh, a voice and an attitude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have, I have been overseas. Went to a lot of flower shows. Went to a lot of gardens uh, in England, Wales, Scotland, uh, Germany, Don't Netherlands. Don't forget Amsterdam. Yeah, Amsterdam. You know, and I'm still amazed that one of the oldest... Uh, botanic gardens in the world there in Amsterdam, Hortus Botanicus. They only have one sculpture in that whole garden, and it's a magnolia flower, just like this one I stole out front. Yeah, well, when you did the show from there, I used that magnolia as the picture for the podcast. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about gardening next little while. Hey, how, how your children doing? Oh man, they they grow <laughs> they growing up like weeds. You didn't take them with you to Minneapolis for the MP for the what was that? Uh, uh, yeah, the re- uh, public radio conference. It, they uh, surprisingly they gave me a break. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Well, uh, for the next, uh, you know, this is the last weekend in August, first weekend in September, I guess, uh, Labor Day. And I got a note from somebody. I forgot about this, but this is Saint Fiocchio's feast day. I'm not Catholic, not into hagiolatry and all that stuff, but I have a statue of Saint Fiocchio in my garden. In case you're not sure, it's F-I-A-C-R-E, Fiocker. Uh Just Google Garden Saint. He is official patron saint of gardening in a statue. He looks like all the other saints. You know, they all look like old look like old hippies like me. You know, a hoodie and long hair and a beard. I don't, I don't have a beard, but uh, instead of carrying a bird in his hand or something like that, he's got a shovel and a group, a bunch of flowers, because he's a patron saint of gardeners. Uh, and also of Paris cab drivers. In, in Paris, cabs are called fiacres, and uh, there's a reason for that. But uh, anyway, happy St. Fiacre Day. And uh, uh, I had the statue in my garden, not because uh, of, of worship saints or anything like that, but it's sort of like looking at a picture of my kids. When I look at a picture of kids... It reminds me of my children. It reminds me what they were. It reminds me of stuff. And that's what Fiat does. It reminds me since the 7th century, 
of people sharing herbs and flowers and vegetables and uh, doing service to other folks. So uh, anyway, that's what he reminds me of. Plus, he's a cool statue. But uh, anyway, for the next hour or so, we're going to be talking about gardening. Got some cheesy music coming up because it's Labor Day weekend. Got a little work song that'll take you back. A real bad earworm from the late 1960s. Um, But if you've got some things you want to chat about, give me a call. We've got the lines wide open. I'm here in the studio. I'm sweaty because I walked and it's hot and it's humid and and all that. But uh, I'm cheerful. So if you want to give me a call, it's toll free, one 877 MPB ring. Be glad to talk with you about anything related to gardening. I spent a lot of time this past week catching up on emails and stuff, and uh, there's a whole bunch of them out there, uh, and, and I really enjoyed that. But uh, there's some events coming up that I think that some of you be interested in. I, I know I am. There's uh, uh, some this coming weekend. I don't know of any this weekend. Uh, but coming up next weekend, there's going to be the Native Plant Society is having this meeting in Jackson. It's going to be at the Natural Science Museum right off Interstate 55 uh, in Lakeland Drive. Wonderful place, terrific museum, world-class museum. But the Native Plant Society is going to have a meeting there starting uh, around, I think the meeting starts at 9.30, but, you know, get there at 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock, something like that. Uh, they can have a field trip on Sunday if you want to do that, but they've got a whole bunch of folks going to be talking about using native plants. And uh, I think it's cost $6 for the whole weekend if you want to do that. But uh, also next weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, is the 20th annual Strawberry Plains Migrating Hummingbird Festival, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. I went to it, I remember it was last year, year before last, and it was astounding. There's so many migrating hummingbirds, and they planted so much stuff that hummingbirds like naturally. Uh, and they, they have these big feeders set up, and they actually capture these things with nets. They band them and let them go again. And you can watch that. You can sit there and, and look at it. You might even be able to hold one. I'm not sure about that. But uh, anyway, butterflies and hummingbirds, it's an incredible event. And they also have a terrific native plant sale. I got several plants from my garden uh, that, that I put out there, including one that a lot of people don't know about. It's in the uh, the mint family. It's a monarda family. Um, it's got clusters. It's got sort of the grayish uh, leaves at the top, r- right below the flowers. It's called mountain mint. Mountain mint. It's a really weird thing. Pink naphthem on pink. I don't remember the Latin name, but anyway, terrific native plant. Great for hummingbirds and bees and pollinators. And they have all sorts of stuff. So I, I hope some of you can make it up there. Again, that's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Strawberry Plains. Um, uh, Audubon Center is right outside of Holly Springs up in North Mississippi. If you want some information about it, just Google strawberry but shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. Hey, let's start out this morning by talking to a fella in Columbus, Georgia. Gary, what are you doing calling all the way over Alabama to get to Mississippi? Well, I travel through Mississippi a lot, and I love listening to your show, and you helped me out last year with a question about my yard and you were spot on when everyone else was wrong and i listen online so here i am well welcome you know you're 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 not very far from uh, pine mountain georgia not at all and uh where now i understand that that uh that their nature center is not there anymore but anyway what's what's what can I help you with today well um i want to turn my backyard into like a uh, bee sanctuary, and I want to try and figure out what flowers and plants would be best to attract bees. 
Well, it's, a, it's a good question, well, but, but let me let me throw this out. First of all, there's there's a whole bunch of different kinds of bees. You know that there's honeybees, which are right. pretty pretty much year round. They have to have hives, or they have to have a lot someplace. And, and, and if if you have some old dead trees or logs or stumps, there'll be some out there. But also our native bees, uh, which typically are real active in the spring and early summer, maybe middle of the summer, and then they sort of peter out because they sort of designed to take care of the spring and early summer stuff, and then they go dormant. You know what a carpenter bee is, those great big bumblebees that bore into wood? You got them all over. Yeah, well, well, well that's, that's one of these native bees, and uh, there's a lot of really small ones. I mean, you know, they make holes not much bigger than a pencil lid, so, you know, there's a bunch of those. So right off the bat, instead, in addition to flowers, you need to get you a wood pile, a pile of old wood someplace. You can make it pretty like a stumpery or whatever. I'm not sure what a stumpery is. Go to my website. I got a whole, whole blog with some pictures, but uh, so piles of brush and wood, because that's where these native pollinators make Make their homes. I mean, you can also build some. If shoot me an email and how to drill the right size holes in wood and stuff. But, but make a place where the natives will will can live, and you'll have lots and lots of them. But but back to answer your question, there's a lot of good plants for bees. Typically, you go online and they're going to blow you away with too many choices. Yes. Um, uh, but the important thing is we need stuff that's, that's that's not just in the summertime, but also spring and even winter. We have a lot of bees that are active in the wintertime, but winter, spring, summer, and fall. And, um, you know, I really can't get into all the possibilities because, I mean, I could just send you a list of the plants that are in my garden that are covered with, with bees. But typically bees, butterflies, and to some extent hummingbirds all share the same nectar and pollen. So, uh, anyway, uh, shoot me an email, and I'll give you a, a, a good starter list of plants that, that not only are good for bees, but they're pretty. And they look nice, and sometimes they smell yeah. good. Fantastic. Once again, thank you. And I'll shoot you that email, and I appreciate your time. Okay, well, i got to ask you something. You sound like sure. you're from the Midwest. Uh, Ohio. Okay. No, that's <laughs> all I want to know. Ain't from around here, are you? But but. We, <laughs> We'll settle in real quick. Shoot me an email, and let's let's find you some some good old Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi shared bee plants. Fantastic, will do. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Thank you. Now this is coincidental, but we can slide. We can jump across Alabama again and come back to Columbus, Mississippi. Hey, Dan, what's going on? Hey, good morning. Howdy. Uh, I have a plum tree I planted about two years ago, and and the first year it. It grew a little bit, but not a lot. I figured because it was new, it, you know, it uh, wasn't yeah. going to grow a lot. And right. This year, it's not grown at all. I mean, it leaved out, but everything uh, after that, it just stopped. Yeah. The leaves are all curled up. Uh, now, in the spring, I did put uh, two plant spikes, you know, those fertilizer spikes yeah. uh, around it. But that's it. And I just, you know, I have other plants in the area, from uh, flowers, and they're doing fine. So yeah. I'm not sure why this got stunned. Well, here's a couple of things. You know, part of Georgia is a little hilly. I mean, uh, Columbus is hilly. Part of it was flat. And uh, a lot of these fruit trees don't do as well on flat ground because their roots stay wet in the winter and spring, and so they stay real shallow. And then come summertime, they're not very deep, and so they suffer more from, 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 from heat and drought. So right off the bat, you know, if you plant in flat ground, uh, it's not going to have a really good root system. So the, the way it, it, it let me back up a second. Those fertilizer spikes are pure gimmick. If you want to use them, they're fine, but take a hammer to them and break them up in lots of little pieces and scatter them all around the tree rather than just putting a real concentrated dose around one root. See what I'm saying? 
Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, uh, br- br- broadcast fertilizer out away from the trunk all the way around it because that's where the roots are. Um, did you prune the plant when you set it out? I'd not, well, I did a little bit anything that was crossed, yeah, uh, but not much. Well, here's the thing. When you, when you set out a fruit tree, and I, I lecture on this at a, a place in Jackson every year, have a big crowd talking about uh, just home fruits. There's not a commercial plum, peach, apple, or pear grower on earth who the day they put it out won't cut it off to about knee high. There, there, there's not, there, no growers don't do that. It's really important to balance the top with the roots to help, because otherwise the roots are going to struggle to keep up with whatever leaves the top throw is out. So right off the bat, your tree is putting a lot of stress with too many leaves on a, on a, a re- reduced root system. One thing you can do is, uh, you could try it now, it's a little bit hot, but sometime uh, in the wintertime, if you'll go ahead and cut it back pretty far, if you've got a bunch of limbs that are sticking, you know, they're fairly low to the ground, you know, two, three, four feet off the ground, leave the ones that are growing outward and uh, and cut out the tall middle stuff. And, and then whatever's left, thin it out. In other words, really boogered up. You know, cut it way, way back. And when it sprouts out in the spring, it will be balanced better with its roots. That'll help a whole lot. All right, great. Appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, if you could imagine holding a ball in your hand upwards, you know, where your fingers are pointing up to the, and then taking the ball out of your hand, that's what a fruit tree should look like when you're done pruning it. You know, out out and up, nothing in the middle. That'll it'll take a lot of stress off. And also, make sure you're not hitting the trunk with the with the lawnmower or the string trimmer. (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay there. (laughs) Good luck on it. Well, I appreciate it. Thank okay, you. you bet, Dan. Thank you. Oh, All righty. Now let's go to. Uh, I can't. Is it? I can't read my Bible. Is Morris Chapel, Tennessee? Is this Eric? Yes. Is it Mar? Hey, is it Morris Chapel? Yep. Where's that? Uh, it's in Tennessee. Yep. Well, what's going on? What can I help you with? Um, I, I'm very interested in growing some uh, wild fruit plants. Uh huh. And specifically the case of my mulberries, persimmons, and muscadines, I was wondering if a graft will preserve the gender of the plant because they don't have perfect flowers. Well, well, so, uh, you're right. The wild muscadines, they have separate male and female plants. And to, to be honest with you, I think you're better off with a, with a, a, a hybrid on those so you can have a lot of fruit. But that's it's not my business. Uh, the persimmons, separate male and female, you need to be able to graft a male and a female onto the same rootstock. But uh, musc- muscadines don't graft. Uh, regular grapes graft, but muscadines, they're, they're, they're a peculiar type of grapevine. They don't root that well. You know, they root okay, but they, they don't graft very well. They have a different kind of cellular bundle or something like that. But uh, anyway, it's not a problem grafting several different varieties or male and female of the same species onto to one plant. Not hard at all. Uh, have you grafted anything before, Eric? No, I haven't. I, actually, the the plants, I, I grew them from seed last year, so uh-huh. they're probably six or eight inches high. So I was wondering if I can graft uh, them on them when they're adult. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, in general, I've, I've done a lot of grafting. Over the, not a lot. I, I, I've done grafting over the year, and i got a real close friend who grafts stuff every year. And, I, and I've gone out to his place and helped him. Uh, but in general, the stuff that you graft onto the rootstock should be about the size of a pencil or so. But there's also this this stuff called bud grafting, where you slice a little piece of a bud off it and make a T-shaped cut in the bark of, a, of the other tree and slide this bud in there. It's called budding, and it's a whole lot easier than grafting. And um, I, I'm not trying to get technical because 
these things are done by 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 been done for centuries. It's not hard to do, but there's a few tricks to it. But budding, as opposed to grafting with the sticks on it, real real easy. And uh, typically, that's done in the springtime. Just as the trees start to leaf out, because that's when the sap starts flowing and it heals up the, the graft better. But you take the graft wood in the wintertime and keep it in a plastic bag in the refrigerator to make it think it's still wintertime. Then when your trees start to leaf out, you can pull those things out of the refrigerator and graft them onto an actively growing tree. So timing is important. The stuff you collect needs to be done in the winter. You do the grafting in the early spring. And, and uh, shoot me an email, and I can get a little bit. I can actually show you some pictures I've taken of how Tom does his, the, the, the bud grafting. Great. Would that um would that work with mulberries as well? Oh yeah, yeah, mulberries. Uh, and you know, but you know, mulberries don't need grafting. You know, if you are you growing these for fruit or for looks? Uh, for fruit. But uh, I I dug up wild ones and I thought they didn't have perfect flowers. I think that they do. I'm, I I could be wrong on that. I'll I'll double check on that. Could be wrong. But uh, anyway, let's we. I do a whole lot better by email when it comes to you know technical stuff. Okay, well, then I'll shoot you an email. Okay, Eric. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. And by the way, the email address, gardening at mpbonline.org. Hey, um, let's go up to Olive Branch. Hey, Jack, good morning. How are you? Hey, Phil. What's up? I got a couple of questions. One's about Dahlia. About what? Dahlia. I, I, I didn't get that. Dahlia? Oh, the dahlias. Uh, I yeah. got Yeah, gotcha. Uh, I tried to grow them this year, and, and they're awful leggy and, and fall over. Do they need to be pinched back? Are, are these those great big kind of dahlia flowers, the, you know, dinner plate size, big ones? No, no not that big. Well, uh, about half that size. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there are some bedding plant dahlias that, that have lots of branches and lots of smaller flowers, but the big kind, uh, every dahlia grower stakes them. Or they get, you know what uh, hog wire is? No. Uh, well, you, you know that, that, uh, that, that wire mesh that they put in concrete? It's got, you know, it's like rusty metal. It's got big oh, six-inch oh, square. Oh, I mean, green mesh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you can take you can take some of that and lay it sideways and lift it up a little bit, you know, a couple of three feet off the ground, and the dahlias can grow up through it, you know, if you got a whole bunch of them. But individually, they're going to need to be staked or they flop over. you got plenty of sunshine, don't you? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, as long as they got sunshine. These plants are native to Mexico, but, you know, they'll rot if we get too much rainfall here. And uh, so they need, they need good well-drained soil, plenty of sunshine, not too much water, and then they're going to they're gonna need staking. Oh, now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I came in on the last part of a question about big trees yep. and how to make them into bushes. And how, wait, and, and how what? But I missed it. How, how do you turn big trees into big bushes? Oh, that's easy. You just cut them back. You know, just like if, you know, if you don't ever prune a rose, it gets big, but you just cut it back. Um, I, I planted a fig last year, and when it got about knee high, I cut it back to about two feet, knee, th- thigh high, and then it branched out. And then when the branches got about three feet long, I cut them back. So now instead of long, skinny shoots, I got a bush. And so the main thing is in the wintertime, whatever grows this year, 
in the winter, this coming winter, cut it about halfway back, and it'll bush out more compact. You can get rid of all the tall stuff anytime you want to, but to keep it nice and bushy so you can pick it, you just got to prune on it. That's all it is. Oh, boy. I could really get in a lot of detail about this kind of stuff, folks. I love doing it. Wrote the book about it. But, you know, let's have some fun. We got a whole bunch of callers, but we got some lines open if you want to get in the queue. Toll free one eight seven seven mpb ring I'm Horticulture's fellow rushing, and uh, Kevin Farrell's in there being the phone greeter. Java's pushing all the buttons, trying to make me look tall and smart. We're going to take a, just a little bit of a short break, not very long, a minute, minute and a half or so. Come right back with some more phone calls here on the Gestalt Gardener, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Alrighty, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing. In addition to next weekend having the Native Plant Society meeting on Saturday in Jackson at the Natural Science Museum and the, the terrific Strawberry Plains Hummingbird Festivals Friday, Saturday, and Sunday next week up in Holly Springs. Uh, there's a couple of things coming up later this month. One, September 17th, I'm going to be giving a program at the Orange Grove Library down in Gulfport. It's on Old Highway 49. But uh, we're going to have this open to the public, Orange Grove Library in Gulfport, September 17th. And then on the 20th and 21st of September, there's going to be a... Um, a gourd Festival. The Mississippi Gourd Society is having a, a big festival. I've been to it before. It's all, always a whole lot of fun. It's in Raleigh, Mississippi, but that's on the 20th and 21st of September, and I'll be talking about that more a little bit later. But MississippiGourdSociety.org has got plenty of information. Now, let's go to uh, Becky, uh, Samantha. Hey, Samantha, calling from Ocean Springs. What's up? Hey there, Felder. Good morning. Uh, thank you. Happy Fiocre Day. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> What's up? Well, I was calling. I think I have a similar question for one you already answered, unfortunately. But I have a satsuma tree in my front yard that is just not doing anything. Yep. It's uh, It's been there for about three years, and it, it's Thin. still only about two feet tall. Thin it out. You know, how, how many branches right. have you got on it? Very many? Uh, not too many. It's a little thing. Well, you know, if if you if you look right around and see old satsuma trees, they're you know they're small trees, but they're, they're right. still pretty big. You notice they got a trunk and just a couple of low branches. Right. Well, let's let's start your tree out with that now. You know, just one or two or three branches okay. at the most, and just thin, thin those out. Make sure that the lawnmower, or the string trimmer, can't hit the trunk, and just give it a light fertilizer. This time of year, I don't think I'd push it with. I, you know, Get some liquid fertilizer, kind of mix with water, and yeah, pour yeah. around it to kind of jumpstart it. In other words, don't push it this late in the year, but thin it right. out a little bit and give it a little bit of fertilizer. And, and if you got a bunch of grass growing up near it, pull the grass back and cover the area with bark mulch, maybe plant some okay, daffodils or, you know, plant, plant something up under it or, or mulch it. Don't have grass growing right up to it. Okay. And, that, that'll, and so that'll do, you recommend, uh, do you recommend thinning out the middle like you had said earlier? Well, yeah, you know what we're trying to do is get a trunk and some main limbs growing, and so right. and that's what you got right now. The 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 sort of the framework is sitting there, is hidden, you know. But imagine ten years from now, a trunk and just a few lower limbs. That's what you want to get the first couple of years in, in your tree, and then you can let it just thicken on up. All right, and uh, the fertilizer. Do you recommend one that's specific for a citrus tree? Nah, or? nah, nah. That's nah. bunch. That's like ketchup. Some ketchup yep. runs faster. <laughs> some ketchup runs slower. But still, tomato sauce. All right. <laughs> Good luck on it. All right. Thank you much. You bet, Samantha. Thank you. Bye. Okay, and let's go over to Mobile, Alabama. Hey, Becky. Good morning. Hi, Felder. 
Hey, I, I just I just got a really weird notice. The Mobile Botanical Garden. There's some there's some question about whether the city's going to keep it open or not. Have I you heard know, anything about and that? I am so sad about that because that's one of our wonderful treasures we have. It is. It is. I didn't realize it's supported uh, entirely by the city, but uh, it's a cool little botanic garden. I just found. I don't know any details. I just found out about this, but uh, if anybody's listening to Mobile, has some you know, do something. I know it. I agree with you. Well, I just I just hope that we can keep it going because I have some close friends who are master gardeners who don't do volunteer work out there. And, and they they got such a cool little herb garden too. But anyway, what can I help you with this morning? Well, I heard you say something about the fertilizer spikes a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. I have a redbud tree that's probably about fourteen years old. And I noticed that the branches on that tree are dying, and I had someone cut the limbs, the dead limbs, off. Mm -hmm. And I was poking around underneath that tree the other day, and I found some baby redbud trees coming up underneath it. Yeah, they come up from sea. It's a native plant. Well, I dug those small trees up the other day, and I planted them on the wet on the east side of my building. And I'm, I was planning on using some of those fertilizer spikes, but I, I'm hesitant about doing them now. Well, here's the deal. Fertilizer spikes, you know, plant, plants absorb fertilizer and water and air through their roots. And the roots, you know, stick your arms way out, wiggle your fingers. The roots are all out there. Fertilizer spikes, they put them all in one spot. And if you happen to be close to a root, it can use the fertilizer. But, you know, what we want to do is put fertilizer under the whole – I tell people, all, fertilizer spikes are fine. Break them up into lots of little pieces and scatter them. Okay. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful marketing gimmick. But well, I it, hear you, and I understand. And that's all it is. They just got it – just, it's, it's like having all your flour in one hush puppy. <laughs> I understand that, and I thank you for being there. I've planted these baby trees about 10 foot, feet apart. And I'm looking forward to nurturing them and watching them grow to big trees. Well, let's let's do two things. First of all, pull any grass back and mulch it. Put you a good thick layer of bark mulch in a ring around it, not a, not a fire ant mound, but a ring of mulch around it, because our red buds are native woodland plants. They don't like to be out in the prairie. And a lawn is an artificial prairie, so make the roots think they're nice and cool and in the woods. Also, give them a really good deep soaking, but don't keep them wet because it's not the best time to move. Pl- best time to move plants in the wintertime when they're dormant. So, they, you know, they may drop their leaves a little early. Main thing is don't overwater them, but give them a good soaking and make their roots think they're out in the woods by, by covering up with, with, with leaf or bark mulch. I understand, and thank you so much for being there. You're a world of a treasure for us. Thank you. Thank the folks at MPB and all the folks who support us during drive time. I will do that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Okay, got a che- got a cheesy tune coming up, but I think we can talk to Cindy first from Cordova, Tennessee. Hey, Cindy, good morning. Hello. Good morning. Howdy. What's up? Um, I am planning on uh, putting my house on the market in about a month, mm-hmm. and I have an extensive uh, garden, and I want to dig up uh, quite a few of my perennials and three or four of my rose bushes. Mm-hmm to take with me right i really need to go ahead and dig them up before the house is shown so i don't have to <laughs> you don't have to explain, explain why you yeah i thought there was a sink in that house before i bought it 
<laughs> right, right. So, and I know this isn't the greatest time to move in. No, it's, it's a bad time. But at the same time, Cindy, you can help a lot by cutting the plants back where there's no leaves right. left on them. They'll think that they've gone dormant. You know, if you cut a plant back, it's going to bush back out. But if you if you move it right now without cutting back, those leaves are going to suck those root pieces dry. So go ahead and cut it back. And if you want to do that, I'd go ahead and, and do it as soon as possible because it takes a little time for that new growth to come out. And if you wait too late up in, in, in Tennessee for to prune it back, the new growth might be too tender and freeze in the wintertime. So if you're right. thinking about moving them in a month or so, I'd go ahead and, and start moving them, potting them up as soon as possible, but cut them back as soon as you can. Okay. And, the, and more than likely, you know, I'll have to create beds at the new house. So just put, put them in pots. Yeah, right, just just right. put them in okay. big pots. You know, go to a garden center or a landscape company. They'll have some some old beat up pots, and any kind of decent potting soil with a little bark mixed in with it for a little extra drainage. And then when you cut them back, pot them up, water them, put them in a place that gets maybe morning sunshine, but not middle of the day hot sun. And most of the time, they'll do fine. Okay, because I I do use your formula for potting soil. Oh, that's that's a pretty good potting the, the, soil and bark, and yep. I've always had good luck since. Yeah, well, the main, main thing is cut them back as soon as you can, and then move, you know move them when you get around to it. But I, I I wouldn't wait another month to cut roses and all back, or they'll sprout out and be frozen in the winter time. Okay, that's what I needed. Thank oh, you. All right, Sandy, appreciate it. Stay cool. Okay. Okay, folks, in uh, honor of this being Labor Day weekend coming up. Well, I tell you what, let's 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 go to uh, Bill's been hanging on for a long time in Greenwood. Hey, Bill, how are you this morning? Hello, Bill. Did I push the wrong button there? Uh, so I don't know. Uh, Bill, are you on the line, or do you want me to just talk about cotton seeds? I can do it either way. <laughs> cotton seeds. It's a little bit early for cotton seeds, and it's a little bit late for planting cotton seeds. Uh, think okra and hibiscus and cotton and things like that. They plant in the springtime, they grow all summer. When it starts, days getting shorter, they bloom and and start making their 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 seed pods in the fall. But anyway, let's go go to Shirley in Startville. Hey Shirley, good morning. Good morning, Zelda. What's up? So I'm trying to grow some exotic plants. One of which is a. Um, uh, bird of Paradise, when I was at my brother's house in California, so these beautiful birds of paradise. Oh, yeah. So so I ordered a plant, you know, it was tiny, maybe about mm, uh, four or five inches high. Yeah, that's a baby and, one. Mm-hmm, and uh, so I left it in a pot for a while. I guess I got it back in, in, in uh the winter, uh-huh. and I left it in a pot until the spring. It wasn't growing any in the pot, so I put it in my flower bed, and it's just sitting there. It's the same size. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's one thing. The other is that um, I have an orchid. The um, Well, I got one when I was in Hawaii, you know, the size they would let you bring through customs. Right. And uh, that was about six years ago, and it lasted maybe a year to a year and a half, and I I understand that you're supposed to keep it dry and you're supposed to spray it. But after about a year, it stopped blooming. So I was going to try it again, and um, I'm wondering what the 
optimum conditions under which you one can keep an orchid. Yeah. So that's a bird of paradise. Okay. Uh, first of all, when I was a kid, my mother had a bird of paradise she brought back from California. My job every fall is to drag it in and every spring drag it back out. And she kept it in a little redwood planter. Bird of paradise, uh, I'm assuming you got the, 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 the orange and purple one, not the big, tall white one. Uh, yeah, the, okay. it, well, it's kind of reddish. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's the way it right, was. Right, right, right. There's, there's just a real tall white one that's hard to grow. Uh, but right. in, anyway, bird of paradise, it likes to be root-bound, and it blooms better if it's root-bound. So what I would do oh. is, is I would put it in a pot with some pretty good potting soil and uh, and cover the top with some bark mulch or something like this, and not just potting soil, and just keep it in a pot. That way you can bring it in a lot easier, you know, in, 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 in the wintertime. Uh, but out in the regular dirt, you know, we don't have the, uh-huh. you know, sometimes we have too much rain, and that causes problems with this, believe it or not. It's a drought-tolerant plant. And so okay. I, I think it'll do a whole lot better just in a pot than, than in the ground. You go to Florida and California places, they have a different climate, different soil than what we have here. So uh, I, I think it's better potted plant. Now, as far as the orchid, there's so many different kinds of orchids that I can't give any generalizations except that they like um, they, they like a little liquid fertilizer, about one-fourth strength. Whatever it says, put it in a gallon, put that in four gallons, or put a fourth of that much in one gallon. And as far as the misting, misting really only helps for a few minutes. Uh, they like oh. humidity, like in a jungle. And that means if you if you put it in a kitchen window or a bathroom window or someplace where it gets a lot of humidity, where the air conditioning heater isn't blowing on it, because uh, you know you missed a plant, and within five or ten minutes it's evaporated, benefits gone. See, so oh. it's a it's a all the time humidity thing rather than just occasionally misting it type of thing. Uh, anyway, fourth strength fertilizer in a, a place that's bright, indirect light, and some humidity. Okay, and then put my uh, take my uh, bird of paradise out of the ground and put it back. Yeah, I the, I, I, I put it in my, not too big a pot right at first, but but put it in the pot, okay. give it a little fer, uh, fertilizer, and uh, yeah. take it from there. But it should be in, in um, open sunshine, right? Direct sunlight. You know, this is a really weird thing, Shirley, because uh, I grow a lot of cacti and succulents and uh, perennials that grow in the full sun in England or in California or Florida that will burn up here because of our humidity. It's like it intensifies mm-hmm. it somehow. So a lot of my succulents that grow in full sun in drier climates, I, I get where it gets really bright light, maybe morning sunlight, late afternoon, but not the middle of the day. You know, they grow in the full sun in California, but... You know, it cools down at night, and it's not as humid. So I'd put it where it gets maybe morning sunshine or filtered light, but not broad open all day hot sunshine. Oh, okay. Yeah, I put it on the west side of my house, so maybe that's the problem. It's, 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 pretty, it's, it's pretty hot there, Shirley, and also we've had so much rain this year, and our kind of soils stay wetter than they do in, in California and in uh, Florida. Okay. Thank you. All right. Have fun. Have fun. I do appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Okie doke. We're going to play a little bit of a, going to give you an earworm, an earworm. It's kind of late in the, usually try to do it about middle of, middle of the hour, but we like to talk to folks, and that's what we're here for. We're going to take a little bit of a break and come out with more phone calls. Got Bill from Greenwood, and got a line open if you want to give me a call, a toll-free 1-877-MPB-RING, or shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. Hey, here's an earworm for the 1960s. It's called... 
I forget what it's called now. The uh, the work song. The work song. Labor Day, here's the work song by none other than... And by the way, I used to be in the same Navy band that this man was in. His name is Herb Albert. We were both in the Navy band in San Diego, California. We'll be right back right after this. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. You're listening to the Gestalt Gardener on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email garden at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Okay, dokie folks, welcome back. Uh, a little bit of work song from Herb Albert. Uh, before we jump on the phone calls, let me throw out, and I will answer these emails uh, when I get off the air, but uh, uh, Ellie and Florence want to know, uh, she said he has a lot of moss rose planted in one of her beds, and the moss rose doesn't look very good, kind of scraggly. wants to know if she can cut it back. Moss rose is, uh, is a semi-succulent. It really doesn't like the rainfall that we've had here this summer. But answer your question, yes, you can cut moss rose back and it'll sprout out with no problem whatsoever. Uh, also, I got a, an email from Matthew in Gulfport who says he's got dollarweed growing in his Asiatic jasmine. Dollarweed and Asiatic jasmine. Weed killer just beat up and roll off of those things. Not a really good herbicide that'll kill moss rose. I mean, moss rose. Dollarweed uh, without killing everything else around it. So dollarweed is part of the landscape in, in along the Gulf Coast. If you got it, there are some sprays that'll kill it, but it'll kill most everything else. But if you want a little bit more specific information, I'll shoot you uh, an email when I get off the air. So now let's go back and talk with Bill, who was in Greenwood. Bill, we lost your call earlier. What's up? Hey, uh, brother. Uh, I was thinking about uh, can I grow some quads like the little oranges? Can I grow them up here in the Delta? Uh, no. <laughs> Now, there is an orange. Matter of fact, it's coincidental, but and, and Java nodded his head. I brought one in. I had this thing called hardy orange or hardy lemon. They're about the size of a golf ball, and they're slightly furry, a lot of seeds, and real, real sour. But that's the only, that's the only one that's truly hardy. 
uh, you know, if it gets down, you know, to the mid 20 to 20 degrees, a lot of these trees just die. And if it gets down uh, below freezing in the wintertime when they bloom, you lose your flowers. So hard to, hard to grow citrus much further than, oh, let's say Hattiesburg or so. And a, a satsuma, that's not like an orange, is it? Well, it's a, it's a citrus. Satsumas, oranges, lemons, grapefruits, all those are pretty close related. Now, there is a, there is a, a, a hybrid that's called curcumelo, uh, cur, uh, cur, I can't remember the name of it, that is, looks like a lemon. Uh, and it's got, and it tastes like a grapefruit, but it's, it's hard to find. Anyway, m- most of those citrus, not in the Delta. Not in the yeah. Delta. Mm. Oh, Part of yeah. it, man. I mean, we can't grow bananas good there, but you know, we're, we're uh, at the same time, we can grow things like figs that, that people up north can't grow. So, anyway, that's, that's the bottom line. Okay. Okay, Bill. Sorry. <laughs> see, sorry. Thank you, Bill. See ya. Nope, can't do it. Well, you can do it. As soon as I say you can't do something, somebody comes out of the woods and says, oh, yeah, well, I've been doing it for 15, uh, whatever. In general, citrus don't like it where it freezes hard or when it freezes in the, the, the late winter, kills their flowers. Uh, let's go to Natchez and talk with Paul. Hey, Paul, good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, I've got some flowers growing in my yard. I've grown Cosmos in the past, and I know you're not supposed to fertilize them. Well, you can. They just they they don't well, like a lot of fertilizer, but 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 they like a little. Well, this this summer, mine grew up to be giant bushy plants with virtually no blooms. And when I walk around my town, I realize that my neighbors and the city of Natchez they have large plantings of cosmos and they've all done the same thing we've got a bunch of giant bushy non-flowering cosmos this year yeah Co- cosmos is it's a popular plant it's in a lot of wildflower mixes but it's a prairie plant we've had so much rain if you've got good dirt and any kind of fertilizer and couple that with rain a lot of wildflowers that grow perfectly fine along the hard packed edge of the highway will get big not flower flop over and die just too much rainfall to do that. But well, that's what we've seen this summer. Yep, yep. Cos- Cosmos is, you know, like black-eyed Susan and Coreopsis and, and uh, purple cone flowers. They like mean conditions. And when you put them in good conditions, you know, they just they, they, they get big and soft and they flop over. Good to visit with you this morning. Appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. All righty. Let's slide uh, up to central Mississippi to Madison. Talk with John. Good morning, sir. Hey Felder, uh, my cannas—I can't get them to bloom. Well, luckily they got good leaves, unless the caterpillars got to them. No, they're not rolling up or anything. <laughs> they're just—they're just not blooming. You know, cannas are a funny thing. Uh, you know, it, I just talked to Phil about Cosmos. We've had a lot of rain for for them, and cannas will actually grow at water's edge. So they should, you know, the only thing I can think of is, is maybe if you gave them a little extra fertilizer. Sometimes that'll throw plants into vegetative growth over flowering growth because you see cannas growing around just abandoned home sites and blooming perfectly fine but uh there's not a real reason i could put my finger on the keeper for blooming other than possibly really good growing conditions maybe a little extra fertilizer and those are just educated guesses well what about shooting them with a lot of water 
Well, you know, they, they like water. You know, they're, they're emergent zone plants. Uh, some of them actually grow along, in, you know, in, in wetlands. But, uh, you know, water doesn't hurt them. I think you've had plenty of water in Madison this year. So, yeah. uh, but anyway, have you fertilized them at all this year? I haven't fertilized them at all. Okay. Give them a little bit of, if you're going to water them, get you something, you know, miracle Grow or something like that. No stronger than what directions call for. Just, you know, absolutely. It doesn't look like enough, but uh, according to directions, give them a little liquid fertilizer, a good soak, and see if that won't jumpstart them. Because they do like some fertilizer, just not a lot. Okay. I'll give it a shot. Thanks. All righty. Good luck on it. Bye. I'm about to swoon in here, folks. When I came in, I stole a flower off a magnolia tree out front. They have a, there's a variety of magnolia called Little Jim, G-E-M, Little Jim. It gets about the size of camellia. They get pretty good size, but they're considered large, large shrubs, not trees. The flowers, not much bigger than my hand, fragrant. Everything about the the bottom, back of the leaves are furry brown. The top are that nice, rich, glossy green. Uh, white flowers, very nice citrusy. Uh, fl- I'm reminded that magnolia tree, I've seen them in botanic gardens and public gardens and private gardens literally all over the world. New York City, Seattle. South America, Africa, Japan, all over England. This grown all over the world. And it whatever killed the dinosaurs couldn't kill magnolias. It was here. We have fossil records of magnolias. It is a tough plant native to every county in Mississippi, which is known as the Magnolia State. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a magnolia flower on our state flag? We're gonna take a real quick break and come back with more information about gardening. Right after. Oh, go to Mrs. Go to magnoliaflowerflag.org. Magnoliaflowerflag.org. Got a lot of information on that one page. Horticulture's fellow rushing me and Java and Kevin. We're going to take a real, real quick break and come back with some more phone calls right after this. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. All righty, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's Felder Rushing. I got an email from... uh, can't uh, surely i think her last name is is uh hanshaw but she said i found this plant growing the noxaby refuge which is up near startville grows fast on a stalk wants to know what it is and uh it's a ruelia r-u-e-l-l-i-a the one that you sent me a picture of is mexican ruelia it gets big it spreads needs to give it plenty of elbow room because it will spread but we also have a wonderful native ruelia I've got uh, some growing around my yard. A little woodland plant gets up about maybe knee high or so with, with, with delicate little flowers. But anyway, Mexican petunia or Ruelia bretonica, bretonica, I don't know what it is. Anyway, Mexican petunia. Uh, let's go to Jackson, talk with Gene. Good morning, Gene. How are you? Hey, good morning. What's up? Got a couple of questions here. I, I've got a, a plant. Uh see it all the time on television when most of the time you're showing these. Uh, showing, you know, in people's homes, uh-huh. but it's uh, it's it's very green. It's in pot. It has very big leaves. It's it's like uh, uh like almost like a small violin. 
or you might say it's like a hand fan. Oh, is it a is a it's a potted plant though, right? Yes, it's and something. The, I remember uh, something about being a Brazilian or Brazil something. Well, it, are the leaves like a foot and a half, two feet long? Uh, no, it's not that long. It's okay, about a foot, maybe a foot. Well, there, there is, a, you know, there, you know, a fig tree, and there's a weeping fig, and there's a rubber tree. Well, there's one that's that's that that uh, that's in that same family. I'm just drawing a total blank on this type of type of rubber tree. Oh, uh, I just I, I got a picture in my head. I'm drawing a total blank, total blank. Anyway, uh, you got a phone that you can take a picture and send me? Uh, I don't have it. Well, uh, oh, fiddle fiddle leaf fig. What I'm thinking of is a plant called fiddle leaf fig. That sounds, sounds more, that sounds, because yes, a fiddle, yeah, like, because it looks like a violin, yes. Fiddle. Yeah, well, listen, okay. if, if that's what it is, it's kind of a stiff leaf, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, probably, you know, okay. there's a lot of tropical plants with big leaves, so I'm just making a, when you say a shape like a violin, fiddle leaf fig, it's in the same family as rubber tree, and it, it'll grow perfectly fine in a pot. If it gets too big, you can cut it back and it'll bush back out. Okay, fiddle is the word. All right, fiddle leaf fig. One more, of course. Okay, got a peach tree. Uh, is this the time to prune them or wait until after uh, the peach comes on? Uh, a couple of things. You know, you, you can thin out. If there's a lot of branches on it right now, a lot of limbs and all cluttered, you can thin some of those out now. And, and don't leave any stubs. Whatever you cut, cut it right where it starts to grow. But you thin out a few of the branches, uh, a few of the limbs, and then maybe a few of the branches. But in general, we prune them back uh, in the in 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 the the after they bloom, so you can see where the figs uh, fig, where the peaches are. But it's okay to thin out some a few limbs, and then a few branches off the limbs that are left. You can do that now. Oh, uh, good. All right. Okay, Jim. Okay, you, sir. you know that's an educated guess on a fiddly fig, but sounded that's like it. I hit the nail on the head. That that's it. I, <laughs> I remember someone saying it was a yeah. I heard the word Brazilian fiddle. There that, you go. That works. All right. Thank you, sir. Whew, thank you, Gene. <laughs> so, so folks, sometimes I know it, sometimes I don't, you know. And sometimes I can't remember it. Some things I wish I didn't know, to tell you the truth. Here's one I don't know. I got an email from, from uh, Mary uh, Branshaw. She says uh, she bought a couple of packets of bib lettuce from uh, Seed Savers. And uh, the instruction says to cover the seeds a quarter of an inch or other half inch. Do, do seed, lettuce seeds need light to germinate? I don't think they need light to germinate, but I wouldn't bury them deep. What I would do is I would just scatter them over the top of some, some soil, lightly water it, and that'll mix them in just enough, but not not deep at all. Half inch, that's way, way too deep. But uh, if you want to just uh, sow them and then lightly rake it to sort of mix them in with the dirt, cover them up just a little bit, they should come on up. And by the way, this is a great time to start lettuces. Uh, there's this thing called mescaloon, M-E-S-C-L-U-N. It means a mix. You can get some red, some seeds of red lettuce, green lettuce, bulb, uh, ball lettuce, leaf lettuce. Mix them up and then put a pinch of that mixture, just a pinch, in a little pot and water it. And when it sprouts, you can transplant you got a whole little mixed salad growing right there if you do this every oh three or four weeks you'll have a continuous supply of homegrown lettuce you don't have to worry whether whoever picked it washed their hands or not because we did it and no we didn't <laughs> anyway happy saint saint fiacre day folks hope y'all have a, a really good and a safe labor day we're going to be back same time same place here next saturday uh, next friday and saturday uh, hope to see some of y'all at the Native Plant Society meeting next Saturday in, in Jackson or at the 
uh, Strawberry Plains Audubon Center up in in uh, north of uh, I draw a total blank. I'm just so excited to be back in Java. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> so, if you get a chance, take a kid to a farmer's market. Take a kid to a garden center. Give them a little bit of change. Get them to spend it on something that they can grow. Teach them how to do what we do best. And that's get dirty. See y'all next week. <laughs>